one of those uh, weeks where I was preparing what I thought I wanted to say this morning, and Robert was preparing what he thought he wanted to sing this morning, and we both ended up with the manger. Uh, maybe a little different point of view in the manger, because I was privileged last week, uh, as a matter of fact, Saturday a week ago, to be in Bethlehem and to look at the manger. And I had a startling realization kind of deep inside of me. I'm not sure I would know what a manger was if it wasn't for the Christmas story. And maybe I'd seen it on Jeopardy or maybe, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I would even know that a manger is a feeding place for animals. I mean, I'm not really a, a farm kind of guy. Maybe they still use that term. Maybe they don't. But as we got to go through Israel, it was, a, it was an amazing thing. We, we got to go to the Negev, the south part of Israel, where we were able to see the, the things that went on as the Hebrew children crossed the Red Sea and began to wander in the desert. We got to see Masada, the, the amazing sight of the, the, that time that took place in those 400 years of silence that we just sang about, where the, the Jewish revolt ended up with that, that mass suicide on that plateau. We got to wind our way up through Galilee and see the, the Sea of Galilee and the amazing kind of things where you go, well, this happened there and this happened there and this happened there and this happened there. Incredible. And then we ended up, I think last Saturday, the days kind of run together. We went into Bethlehem crossing the uh, checkpoint because it's sort of an international border between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And as we crossed over, we, we got in line. And I, and I have a picture for you of the, that church. Yeah, that's the title. There it is. And, uh, and the line went all the way around under those columns. And then we made a U-turn where the picture was taken and then lined up all the way back down the other side. And the reason we were in line was so that we could see the manger. Now, I was reminded that the manger is not the birthplace of Jesus. The, the manger is where they laid him. And so, as is the case with much of the Holy Land, they built a church over the site that is traditionally that sacred place. And so, this is kind of what we lined up to see. That little star, a 14-point star, is supposed to be the very spot where Jesus was born. Not really sure how they know that, but uh, that's the place. And so because it is now an Orthodox church, it has been blinged up considerably to where they, in their way, pay honor and respect to that holy place by, by surrounding it with all kinds of gold things and lighted things. And so, so the idea was that this on the upper left is where he was born, and then directly opposite that place is that thing over on the right that looks a little bit like a fireplace, but not. So they turned him around and they laid him in that manger, a feeding trough, a hollowed out place in a cave where they would put straw and hay so that a live stock, so that livestock could feed. And in that place, they placed the baby Jesus. Well, I have to tell you that I fought a little bit with uh, the thought, and, and so many Christian pilgrims do, when, when you go see that place, my thought was, what have they done with the manger? What have they done with, 
with this holy place that, that we picture in the Christmas pageants, this, this simple, moonlit, outdoor, not blinged up place that they would lie, the, lay the Christ child. When I had a moment of reflection, because as soon as you finish seeing this, you get to go to the store where you get to buy nativity sets, right? <laughs> the olive wood nativity sets that all of your friends who have ever gone to the Holy Land have brought you back. And as a matter of fact, my wife, when I left, said, don't bring back another nativity set. Because if the truth be known, we've got them all over the house. And you do too, don't you? Yeah, nod, do this. You got them all over the house. You got the olive wood one, and you got the cloth one, and you got the veggie tails one, and you got them all over the place. We've got this one that our dog is fascinated with Joseph. It's kind of a cloth one, and he thinks Joseph is a chew toy. I mean, that's awful. Well, so I got online and found one of my sick friends who had posted a number of nativity scenes that maybe go off the reservation just a little bit. How about the nativity as a kitchen timer? Okay, we can work with that. It's, it's time for... No, that's, that's too far. Okay, um, how about this one? Dogs playing poker take time out for the nativity. All right, how about this? Marshmallows. Judy made me take out the one where the actual nativity was built with graham crackers and chocolate because it was just too offensive to think that we would turn this into s'mores in just a few minutes. All right. Um, bears. Aw. Really? All right. I just don't know what to say. It gets worse. There's the one. I started to bring it, but I was afraid some of you would want to play with it because you too have that at your house for kids or grandkids. But then there's this one. That looks strangely like the guy we saw in the commercials yesterday. If you were watching the LSU game, he was selling insurance, I believe. Uh, the Irish didn't want to be left out. So they... Had... And now, let's talk about this for a second. These are pigs. 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 In a Jewish nativity. Does that not just kind of get anybody's attention? And then there's one more that I found particularly offensive. This is actually made out of spam. And I felt the same way you did. Okay, that's just taking it too far. Maybe we should look at the nativity not through the eyes of what we've made it, but through the eyes of the people that saw it the first time. Maybe we should consider that manger scene and, and all of us would get to the place where we enter this season of Christmas, this season of Advent, with so much commercialism and so many trappings and so many lights. There's a, we stumbled on a learning channel thing with people that had to install entire electronic substations in their neighborhood to support their Christmas lights. 
Wow. So maybe we can understand the purpose of the manger better through the eyes of the people who saw it first. Look with me in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to take a part of the Christmas story that just deals with the shepherds because they were the ones that were drawn to the manger first. And I would ask you as you think about this story this morning that it be the story that continues you into the Christmas season. That this is the story, this is the attitude, this is the the approach that would allow you to take the Christmas story for what it's supposed to be. Scripture tells us in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and watching over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And in this miraculous conversation, the manger invited a relationship. The manger invited a relationship. Let's talk about that for a minute. These were shepherds. They were outcasts. They were known as people who thought that the laws of ownership were entirely adjustable depending on the situation. If you understand what I'm talking about, what's mine is mine and what's thine is thine was not always kept in check. They would wander through the wilderness, generally keeping their own flocks and perhaps if possibility of adding a sheep or two along the way, then they would take it. They were really not allowed to be in the temple area because their occupation was considered to be sort of despised. And yet they're the people that the angel appeared to. He said, come and see this thing. Now, let's break down for just a second what he told them. Because I'm guessing that if you're in here this morning or if you're watching by Internet or, or, or whatever, that perhaps there have been times that you felt a little outcast. Maybe like you didn't measure up. Maybe like other people didn't think so much of you or, or that you were a little bit afraid to approach the temple area because of your occupation or because of your habits or because of your lifestyle or because of things that you had done. That's all wrapped up in here. He meant for that to be what we understood. That the outcasts, the sinners in need of a Savior, they were the ones that heard the message first. Not the Pharisees and not the religious leaders or the deacons or the Sunday school teachers or the seminarians, but the people who needed the message the most. So if that's you, then this is you. Said an angel of the Lord stood before them. They were frightened. Duh. (laughs) That would be my reaction. My bedroom is filled up with lion. I'm thinking I'm afraid. And the angel said to them, and and, and this verse is for the theologians, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. And circle good news in your Bible, because that's the word where evangelism comes from. It's a derivative of that Greek word, euangelion, where we talk about the, the good news. 
And so the, the use of it here was to say that we bring you good news. We are evangelists. We are telling you of a salvation that is to come. And in case they missed it, of great joy, which will be for all the people. It's that predecessor, that precursor that says that the good news would not be uh, confined to the Jewish people, but would be extended to people like you and me. He says, for today, this time, this opportunity in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords, this day. So lest... The shepherds misunderstood this message. The angel made sure that he understood that the manger, the whole thing about the manger, it invites a relationship. It invites you and me. Maybe this is the season where where a lot of things come together in your life and you realize, okay, a new start, a new life, this this message of redemption, this message of new life, that's, that's what I want to attach to. And the shepherds were invited to a relationship. The word Savior is only used here in this story and once in John in that particular connotation. And it was meant to have a reverberating, show-stopping, even the shepherds who didn't know much could know that this was a chance for them. This will be a sign for you, the next verse says. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I would offer that the manger invites a relationship, but the manger confirms a Messiah. This baby that was to be born in this way, in this place, in this town at this time, was the shout that broke 400 years of silence in the prophetic world. And yet all of the prophecy pointed to this moment, pointed to this time where, yes, don't miss it. This is the one. This is the time. This is the place. This is the one for the shepherds and for you and for me. He says that this will be a sign that you will find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. And just in case we missed the importance of that, the angels called in a few people for the praise band and said... Glory to God in the highest. It confirms that the greatest event in history was now. The greatest event that ever would be, that ever was, that ever will be, maybe the second coming, I don't know, but for them this was the moment for us to go back to the manger. He says, glory to God in the highest. And then this next verse, this next part of verse 14 is kind of power-packed. It says, on earth, peace among men. And maybe a better translation would be, of his good pleasure. The, The emphasis there is not on men whom he is pleased, but on men and women whom he chooses to extend pleasure. The word peace there is not that Soldiers lay down their guns in trench warfare when it's Christmas Day, but peace has been offered between God and men. That the system of sacrifices, that we saw all of those altars on all of those different places in the Old Testament lands where I was last week. This is the altar, this is the altar, this is the altar where things were sacrificed to shed their blood. This would be the time, this would be the place where that would no longer be necessary. 
that peace is extended through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Christ child. So the heavenly band shows up, and it confirms a Messiah. I hope we don't miss that. I hope that in all of the celebration of Christmas and all the lights that go up in your house and all of the nativity sets that are around your house, that, that maybe as each one you, you just pass by and you see it, you'll go, you know, that invites me to a relationship and that confirms that Jesus is Messiah. That it confirms that he's no ordinary child. That, that confirms that it's no ordinary birth. That confirms that, that he's not the prophets that some, the prophet that some religions think that he is. You know that the church of the nativity is a holy place for the Islamic people as well. They recognize Jesus as a prophet. They recognize that, that his message was no ordinary message. And, and that place is sacred to them as well as to Christians. But for us, we go, okay, that's no ordinary child because that is Messiah. That is the one who would alter history, past, present, future. Who would allow us to realize that we can have a future with God as we come to Him. Maybe like the shepherds as outcasts. So when the angels had gone away... From them into heaven, the shepherds begin saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem. That is a, a sense of urgency that's there. Let's go straight. He's invited us to a relationship. We're confirmed that this is the one that we've heard about as we have heard Bible stories, Old Testament stories. Let's go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So, verse 16, they came in a hurry. They found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. You see, the, the whole idea of Messiah is that it confirms all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And in the immediate, these guys got to have a confirmation of the prophecy that was told to them just days before. Here's what's going to happen. You go to Bethlehem, check, know where it is. You look for Mary and Joseph, got it. Follow the star, got it. Choir to help you. Glory to God in the highest. Ah, got it. But you'll find him in a manger. What? We feed our sheep in mangers. No, 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 no. You'll find this Christ child who has made the ordinary sacred. And the prophecy that they heard about this Messiah was immediately fulfilled. And so they found him. So what can they do? What can we do? Well, if the manger invites us to a relationship, if the manger confirms in us this Messiah that is the centerpiece of our faith, how can we help but tell people about it? The manger invites conversation. Now think about this. You'll have guests in your house over the course of the Christmas season. And they'll say, oh, look, what a cute spam nativity set. <laughs> or not. But maybe they will be drawn to some of your decorations that, that feature the story. Maybe they will be drawn to this, this holiness, and it is a conversation starter. Look at the shepherds. So they came in a hurry. They found him that had been promised. 
verse 8 and then verse 17, when they had seen this, they made known the statement. What statement? Look over at verse 10, the evangelism statement. The angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. That's the statement they made known. That's the the thing they wanted heard. That's the thing that they were compelled to tell. So they came in a hurry. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them. You know why they wondered? Because shepherds weren't thought to be real smart. Shepherds really weren't thought to know very much. Shepherds weren't respected all that much because everybody could point to what they were or what they had been or where they had gone. But now they have something very interesting to say. But now... They have something very soothing to say, very inviting to say, and to say it they do. Do you get what they did? They simply told their story. They told a story that was not open to debate. It was not open to theological argument. It was their story. And they said, this is what happened to us. Think of how compelling it is when somebody is in your house and they are looking at the nativity and you go, yeah, that's a, that's a really artful piece. But let me tell you about that little one in the manger. Let me tell you about that little one there. That little one that was promised. That little one that was born that little one that lived, that little one that suffered, that little one that died, that little one that rose again, that little one that seats right now at the right hand of God. I don't worship a God who was, I worship a God who is. To leave him in the manger is like leaving him in the cross, is like leaving him in the tomb. All of those fall short. We serve a risen Savior. And you are the one who can tell that story the best. Because it's your story. And as your friends come into your home, as, as our, our, our world is focused on Christmas decorations and Christmas stories and Christmas pageants and Christmas on canal and all of those things, it is a conversation starter. And for these shepherds, it was. They made known the statement. Verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told them. No longer were they silent, ignorant, despised, outcast shepherds. They had a message of hope that was being told through the nations. So what will we do with the manger? What will we do with the manger? Perhaps you're here this morning and when I said outcast, you went, me? I need that. I need that message of hope that will sustain me, not just through the Christmas season, but through this year and next year and all the years that will sustain me in the, in the time of tragic loss that our pastor has just gone through. 
I need that message of, of new life that will sustain me through uh, tough times. I need that, I, I, that's, that. I need that invitation to the manger. Perhaps this morning you said, you know, I, I need to confirm his, Him as Messiah. I have been looking at Christmas as all too ordinary just this season between Thanksgiving and when school starts again in January. I don't know how you mark your holidays. Maybe it's bowl game season. But we're all guilty of thinking of this season as entirely too ordinary and not the sacredness that's represented by the candles and even the, the holiness of a story of a man and woman who adopt, who foster children and let them hear the story for the urgency that the shepherds had, the short period of time that they're in their home. And perhaps the last one, the manger is a conversation starter. Maybe that's what it needs to be for us this Christmas. A conversation starter, an opportunity for us to share good news with other people who desperately need it. So what will we do with the manger? Will it invite a relationship? Will it confirm a Messiah? Will it become for us a conversation starter? Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, thank you for this holy story. Thanks for putting shepherds in the middle of it because that's kind of who we identify with. Thank you for allowing us to grasp the holiness of this manger and to realize that sometimes we're guilty of blinging it up and not bowing before it. But Lord, as one has said, to kneel at the manger and not at the cross is to miss the point of both. Lord, let us grab on to what this means for us and make decisions even today. If there is one here who does not know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that the story of the manger, the the songs of Christmas, will compel them to be open to that relationship and that even today they might begin it. But Father, for the theological or the, the importance of the story, to confirm you as Messiah, don't let us miss it. And God, give us boldness through this Christmas season that we would use the object lessons that are all around us to point other people towards you through our witness, our conversation, our testimony, our story. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name.